0: Leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, Here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2,
1: Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. We have a uh, fun show uh, kind of all probed up, programmed and up and ready to go for you today, if I can get my mouth and tongue working. Um, if it's the first time you happen to be tuning into the show, welcome. I uh, want to give you a little rundown on how it works. Really, Talent Talk is really the kind of brainchild out of me wanting to learn more and more from really talented people, cool people, uh, who uh, have important things to say inside of talent, who are talking to talent leaders, and... Um, really have things maybe we should be thinking about, books we should be reading, um, conversations we should be having internally. And so this really is a uh, conversation. It is an opportunity for us to be able to uh, talk with each other, to be able to share. And hopefully you can learn something and take it back into your own career and use that. There have been so many great stories and guests over the uh, few, last four or five years we've had this show going. Um, I took some of those best uh, uh, stories and threw them into my best-selling book, The Power of Company Culture. i um, really, really proud of uh, what it's been able to do and some of the awards we've won. Um, and it's really just inspired by you know a lot of the great stuff we talk about here every week. So hopefully if you haven't checked that out already, you will do so. Uh, On Amazon, you can go get that. And I believe the audio version may be available any moment. So uh, if you're into the audio, it should be there as well. Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, And you can access us live. You can get us on our direct website, talenttalkradio.com. Or most of you actually kind of come in and, uh, you know, get us on the podcast uh, on iTunes. Or you listen to us on iHeartRadio and subscribe there. Uh, whatever it is, we love you for doing it, and there's over 10,000 of you a day who are downloading, interacting, and working in inside of our uh, different platforms. So big thank you, everyone, who's a part of the show. If you have any questions uh, for my guests, I have two today, uh, or even from past shows, look at our Twitter, at PeopleG2. Uh, use that hashtag, TalentTalk, my producer, Mikey, live streams and, and some of the best stuff as we're going along, and it's a great, great way for you to go in there. Uh, see some of the highlights, maybe uh, add your own two cents, your thoughts, and also to to grab the Twitter handle of our guests. Follow them, ask them questions, keep that conversation going. We'd love to do that. So speaking of my guests, uh, my first guest on the show today will be Tracy Butts, the owner of Think Impact Solutions. And then we'll bring in uh, Karen Lee, the managing partner of Narrative, after the commercial break. But let's go ahead, let's get the show started and bring in Tracy. Tracy, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah, appreciate you being here. So, why don't you tell everyone a little about yourself? You know, what's important for us to know as it relates to our conversation today, and most importantly, what does Think Impact Solutions do? And we can kind of a little update on on everything there. So, I'll give you the the stage and and uh, look forward to learning from you.
2: Cool. Thank you. Um, I've been speaking professionally now for a little over 20 years, and my primary focus is on inspirational keynote speaking, but I also facilitate some training workshops, too. I've partnered with clients like the U.S. Army, Motorola True Value, U.S. Bank, Subway, ShopCo, things like that, and I also serve as a faculty member for the National Association for Mutual Insurance Companies, which pulls in my past experience as a Director of Learning and Development for Midwestern Regional PNC Insurance Company, um, where I worked ten years um, years ago. I also hold the designation of Certified Speaking Professional, a CSP, which is the highest honor in my profession. Uh, held by only twelve percent of speakers worldwide, so I'm very proud of that. I've written five books with my fifth being released next month on February 18th, and it's entitled The One-Choice Rule, Transform Your Life and Work by Changing Your Mindset and Behavior. So really what I try to do is to inspire my audiences the best way I can, the best way I know, so that they can make their life even that much better than it is today. So it's really about making work and life in general their best life ever. So that's my message.
1: So you have had a lot of success and experience with employee development and certainly with your speaking and everything that you're doing. And what are some of the keys that you have uncovered over the years that you could share with us about you know, what makes for a successful employee development uh, you know, program or initiative or really the thought, I guess, the overall thought process with inside of an organization?
2: For me, I think creating a co- coaching culture where leaders are open to learning from one another is key. And this means that they're open to, excuse me, leaders not only financially supporting training and development for their staff, but they're also one of the first people in line to participate in the programs, meaning the walk, the talk, right? You know, they also believe in ongoing development, not just one-time events, so that employees realize the leaders are investing in their own future. I also think a strong succession plan and the ongoing development of high potential leaders, both for leaders of people in high level individual contributor roles is important. And even having, uh, let me just say like, in addition to performance plans, offering customized individual development plans so it goes over and above the normal performance objectives. Also offering things like mentoring programs, internal and external training opportunities And most importantly, one-on-one conversations between leaders and each of his or her direct reports. It's interesting because the number one thing, according to Gallup, that employees want from their leaders or their supervisors is for them to care about them, not only as an employee, but as a person. And having those one-on-ones is absolutely an incredible and easy way to get to know your employees so much better.
1: Yeah. And it's really fascinating that that concept, um, even goes into areas like with teaching. My wife is a teacher has talked about really the number one thing that the kids really care about is do, does she like them right as a student, as oh, a person. Yeah. And, and that's the underlying thing. And that she feels like so many teachers forget that that's what that student is playing off. That's the key to the relationship is, do you like me? And if you do, I'm a little bit likely to try harder, to explore, to, 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 you know, take a chance to make sure I get my homework done, whatever those things are. And so it's fascinating how that translates into, you know, as adults with, with having your manager, does my manager like me? Um, and, and how much that kind of, how many things kind of spur out of that conversation, right?
2: Exactly. Cause it really shows a sense of appreciation and, and, You know, are you building relationships? Are you developing those relationships across the organization, not only with your team? And I think it can really create profound results when people actually feel cared about and feel as if they have, well, there's actually uh, research out there that says if you have a best friend at work, you're much more willing to stay at that particular job uh, because of that friendship. So it's, it's really pretty interesting.
1: So a lot of companies will kind of lose steam over time, uh, particularly maybe other things come up, right? Some sort of adversity, maybe they're struggling uh, with inside, you know, with their profits with their expenses or be, you know, who knows what it could be and things like performance uh, and, and and their employee base and, uh, maybe how they're engaging employees can kind of suffer sometimes. So, how do companies successfully energize their culture? Make sure they're keeping this in front of mind, uh, even in the midst of difficulties and and distractions. Um, really, it's just to make sure you know employees are still excited and, and part of the organization. What, are there certain things that you know is is it a frame of mind of keeping that first, or are there things that you suggest people you know do on a regular basis to keep it top of mind?
3: Absolutely.
2: I think there are some tangible things in addition to just great leadership and hiring amazing people. Obviously, competitive pay is a big part, but also solid direction, having the leaders provide that direction and having it trickle down to not only the organization's departments, but then to the leaders and to the employees and the individual contributors. I also think that having a transparent way of communicating, people talk about that a lot, but oftentimes, you know, the biggest secrets, the biggest uh, ways in which you want your company to move forward are kept kind of behind the doors. And I think having a transparent way of communicating but also operating is huge. I mean, you see a lot more organizations with their CEOs in cubicles or open view offices which just demonstrates kind of what is out there and, and having the ability to be more transparent as a company. Also, promoting the right leaders is critical. Having the right leadership in the right roles, not just, you know, promoting people because they're great in their current role, is important. Um, they have to have the right competency for that leadership skill set. Also, autonomy and empowerment and really helping people to put forth their greatest effort in the areas where they're strongest. I think that that's a critical role. Um, Also, quality benefit packages, of course, is important, but also perks. Um, People don't necessarily take these seriously, but I think work perks are helpful too, like and i don't even know that i would call them perks but i think that they are important like real-time feedback Um, i think it's really important that we offer real-time feedback Um, also uh, flexible hours Um, and these aren't necessarily perk ideas perk ideas might be like luncheons or holiday parties or car washes and things like that but also in addition to Flexible hours, getting things done, being able to contribute in a meaningful way, rewarding great performance, um, offering career development, offering great technology, even great physical workspaces are important. For example, collaborating and having impromptu areas to interact with one another, even accommodating personal work styles and workstations. For example, like Adidas, they don't have designated work desks. They have the freedom to choose uh, the work area based on the tasks of that day. Pretty interesting. You know, I guess sitting is now considered the new smoking, and I'm not against smoking. I'm just saying that that is kind of the, the way it is trending. Also, an accounting firm recently put out a policy of the 16 ways to work with an option of standing or sitting, and they even have uh, stools, benches, couches, and treadmills inside of their organization. So it's pretty interesting. Other facets of the physical environment, you know, having individual control of thermal comfort, ergonomic accommodation, a professionally maintained plant program like Facebook has. They have a mini forest and vegetable garden in their in their facility. So a lot of really cool things that that can go over and above kind of the normal things that really do attract employees and maintain uh, employees to stay at their organization so that they can continue to learn and grow within their current roles and also develop into better even stronger leaders yeah
1: and you you really kind of unpacked a lot of different things there um and and so so you know transparency i think was uh, where you started uh, which we've talked about on the show many, many times being such a huge, important factor. And I think you really defined it as not only information sharing, but really talking about what it is that we sort of want success to look like, right? That's not hidden in in the boardroom or just for a few people um, that everyone knows. I mean, I, I've had people say, well, you know, it challenge them to say yes, right, to everything, and they go, "Well, what if someone asks me for a raise?" Well, say say yes, and show them how they can how they can earn that. What does that actual path look like, right? Instead of it being this big giant secret that everyone's hiding behind. Um, Absolutely. And, and you know, and 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 that kind of gives, and then that direct feedback component. I think that's one that companies are really struggling with, and this sort of blaming it on millennials, or blaming it on the younger generation for wanting that kind of direct and quick feedback because they can get it from technology, but. Realistically, everyone wants would love that kind of quick feedback. They would like to know if the things they're doing as quick as they could possibly know are helping or are hurting or are a waste of time. So um, you really kind of got into a, a lot of different stuff there, but those are really great things for people really to think about and to start unpacking inside of their own organizations. Uh, are you seeing organizations struggling to, to be doing some of these things, or uh, you know are they starting to get it? and it's just you know a slow grind to kind of get to to the finish line?
2: I do think that companies do struggle with with things like that. In fact, um, when you take a look at what some of the struggles are that companies have, you know, having the freedom and autonomy to work on things that you're passionate about, people really struggle with giving employees the opportunity to do that on a regular basis because they want to treat pe- uh, their employees equally. And treating them fair is absolutely critical. but. High performers, in my opinion, should be treated different than lower or mid uh, tier employees, meaning that you know everybody should be treated with respect and value and honor, but at the same time, we have to take those that are absolutely contributing at a stronger and higher level and help them feel as folks would say, help them feel loved, right you know I mean we should be giving them additional opportunities to learn and grow because they are our best and our brightest employees. And I think it's really important to differentiate employees rather than, you know, having everyone kind of on the same playing field. But that does mean though, giving everybody wonderful opportunities to continue to learn and grow in the organization. And I think sometimes um, leaders or organizations really get stuck with that um, and it can really be the demise of leadership growth within organizations when that happens, so I think being very vigilant and very conscious of how you uh, promote leaders within an organization is key
1: yeah I've said a lot of um, you know successful companies often include uh, teams that are empowered um, empowered by their leadership and can be kind of high performing and autonomous. We talked about autonomy a little bit uh, a little bit ago. So what does it take to get employees and teams in an organization at that high performing role where you know they can be helpful, they can be autonomous, and they can really be impacting the organization in a great way without it also being distracting?
2: I think we have to provide opportunities to employees where they can take on roles that allow significant impact in a tangible way when they're able to kind of touch, feel their success, they're much more propelled to continue that. I think also able, having employees able to fix something rather than just talk about it. So maybe adding them to a project team where they can add tremendous value or insight or ideas and helping them to learn and grow that way is huge providing less red tape and more autonomy is is also a significant factor because people want to be able to get things done and when they're when they're stifled or when they're unable to do that it becomes really demotivating and it really can impede performance also access to higher level executives and department leaders giving people the opportunity to learn and grow from Everyone from the CEO to top-level leaders within the organization. I think also developing new skills and growing professionally should be offered to everyone to help them rise faster in less time. Um, also, professional development opportunities. Um, you know, it's interesting. One of the companies that I worked with in the past, they have a position called the Dream Coach where a full-time role is devoted to helping people to learn and grow on the on a professional side where you know i think that's really interesting for example one of their employees wanted to become a chef and that particular company helped them to do just that and you think well isn't that turning people away them from their current jobs well really what you're helping them do is to become stronger at where they're very strong already and really helping them to learn and grow, and other employees see you invest in your employees' life. And it becomes really a great motivator. And it really only then pushes away, I should say, or redirects is a better way to say it, that one or two employees that actually leave, but instead it energizes those within your own culture. So also, you know, having high energy, a positive, a driven, and a fun culture, and treating that in every way, shape, or form that you can. And also having unparalleled training experiences, I think, is key to keep that high performance continuing to be robust. One example from several years ago, but I think it's really important to still bring up, is Whirlpool. Um, they have an immersion experience called the real-world I- immersion experience where they move their high-potential employees through a ongoing program, and they offer short bursts of learning, which, of course, adheres to the millennial generation's kind of um, need for that quick and just-in-time learning. But it also is extremely helpful to involve the more – Uh, the long tenured leaders for them to give them the ability to actually share their knowledge so that transfer of learning happens. And it's just an amazing program that I hope many people look into and really learn from because it's been uh, viewed as extremely successful and pretty much uh, very much on its own as an independent source of Amazement, because most companies don't do what they're doing. Very, very unique.
1: Well, uh, speaking of inspirational and learning, I know you, uh, as we started the conversation off with our keynote speaker, and you do a lot of that along with training. And obviously, you may uh, been uh, sort of asked to speak on many different things at different groups and different topics. Um, but maybe what are some of the favorite topics that you like to speak on, um, you know, when you, when you go into an organization? Is there, you know, I know I have this with, with my talks and the keynotes that I give that sort of get a little bit more excited about one or the other um, versus all the many different possibilities. So are there certain ones that you really get excited about when you go in to speak?
2: Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, when I can provide an audience with specific strategies rather than just stories, of how to really help them grow professionally or personally, that is key. That's when I've made an impact. So it's about delivering tools for action and behavior change to really help them transform their life and work by taking purposeful actions. So some of the more common kind of topics include how to make better choices that lead you toward a happier, more successful life, uh, how to foster strength in the face of adversity and push through it and come out much more resilient, I'm actually doing a keynote on Monday regarding resiliency and choices, how to think differently so that you live your best life and how to better control emotional reactions as well. You know human beings, as it's been said, we're reaction machines, and when it matters most, we oftentimes do our worst. So how can we avoid that and build instead build stronger and deeper relationships? so um, for me, it's really about living your best life and how to best transform that, whether it be at work or at home or combined.
1: And where do you draw some of this in, uh, inspiration from um, as you're developing these topics and trying to get in there and give people real life, real tactical, you know, takeaways? Um, does this come from the, the work that you're doing with other companies, um, you know, observations, books? or where Where do you kind of find some of this?
2: All over, you know. Primarily from my own daily experiences, uh, because that's a huge way I, I really can create that personal connection with my audiences, but very much so with the audience members that come up with me, whether they're in those training programs or in the keynote audiences that share personal stories with me. You know, it's amazing how many people chat with me after I step off the stage and share those personal stories of struggle and hardship. And maybe how something I shared resonated with him or her. You know, those are the powerful moments that move me and inspire me to be authentic and to share some of my vulnerability with my audiences. Because for me, that's the way you really connect and you can really impart um, something that can make a dramatic difference in their life. And it's really reciprocal. When I share, they share and vice versa. It's amazing.
1: And what about culture? Um, you know, we've started to kind of get into this overall idea of culture, but is there certain areas where you see or maybe one specific area that companies really have to deal with in their culture? It could be a problem. It could be a challenge. It could be an opportunity. But you know, is there something that they really have to start with or that you see that consistently are having to start with as you're beginning to work with organizations?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, leaders who manage others at a distance need to work harder, I believe, at relating to the employees' needs if they want to create the same level of positive impact as they do when working in, you know, close proximity. I think that they need to develop and, and use a mobile workforce strategy, something that offers and supports and rewards the highly passionate and productive decentralized team. It's interesting because, like we talked about earlier, according to research, engaging in formal performance appraisals is trending toward becoming somewhat of an antiquated way to provide feedback. We need a much more productivity-focused approach to provide that feedback, meaning both positive and negative feedback delivered timely. And, you know, rather than having those scheduled conversations on a quarterly or semi-annual basis, we need to be providing feedback much, much more often when it occurs. You know, I always joke providing feedback once or twice a year and expecting performance changes, kind of like dieting only on your birthday and wondering why you're not losing weight. It is somewhat ridiculous, right? So we have to kind of change our view on that because of more employees working from remote sites and working from home, and just doing things differently. We have to continue to change and adapt much more so than we have in the past.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we've really learned quite a bit uh, from you here today. I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, How can people learn more about you, get a hold of you, if they're interested in having you work with them or speak? Uh, If they want to know more about Think Impact Solutions or you directly, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: They can just go to tracybutz.com, T-R-A-C-Y-B-U-T-Z.com. My personal uh, contact information is on there along with keynote topics, and also um, you can purchase books there. If they want to be added to my monthly e-zine, they can just text BUTZ to the number 22828, again, 22828. And when you do that, you'll go through a question or two, and and you're added to my monthly e list, and that way we can stay connected. I'm on all of the popular social media platforms, Tracy B. Speaks, and I'd love to stay connected with people. I post on a regular basis every day, so it would be fabulous to stay connected with people.
1: Well, Tracy, thank you again for being on the show, and we look forward to having you come back. And uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll bring in our next guest, Karen Lee.
4: Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit peopleg2.com or call 800 630 2880. That's 800 630 2880 or peopleg2.com.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, don't forget you can check us out at uh, talenttalkradio.com. Of course, follow us on Twitter at, at peopleg2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. You can Follow the conversation live as we go through it uh, here every week. And you can also uh, add in your own two cents. Give us your feedback, your comments, your questions, and, of course, interact with us and our guests uh, for both the most current show and all our past shows as well. So um, do take a look at that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring in my next guest, who is Karen Lee, the managing partner of Narrative. Um, and love to have you send any questions or comments us uh, on Twitter there as well. Um, And don't forget, you can also subscribe to to listen to the show on um, the podcast on iTunes, and of course, uh, listen to us on iHeartRadio. So, Karen, uh, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here.
1: Why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, and of course, tell us more about narrative.
3: Okay, great. um, I'll first tell you the personal. I'm married. I have three kids, ages 12 to 21. I live here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, My first uh, career was with Accenture. I was with Accenture for 15 years doing big technology projects, bank mergers, things like that, and realized that I really had more passion for people than technology. Um, so when I left, I and, and I had actually been through some team-building sessions in my career and with personality assessments, and I thought how powerful they were. And so I went out to find a, a publisher of a personality assessment, found one right here in Charlotte. Um, I ended up buying into the company. Um, I was there 10 years, and a few years ago, I sold my shares back to my partners and started Narrative. Narrative is a consulting firm. We work with clients to grow and be more profitable through selecting, developing, and supporting their people. We have a proprietary um, personality assessment called the Narrative Big Five Self-Assessment, and we work with other assessments as well. But really, those are just tools to apply to changing behavior and improving communication, et cetera. So I talk a lot about the tool, but um, in the end, it's mostly about the application of that knowledge from the tool.
1: Yeah, there's so many different assessments out there, different organizations. I have my favorites. I also have some ones that I hate. Um, (laughs) But what do you think is important about the use of assessments? That's sort of, let's just maybe throw the quality of the uh, assessments or the argument about those out for a second. What's important about the actual use of an an assessment within an organization?
3: Right. So there are a lot out there, and some are better than others, right? Um, And something that your uh, listeners may not know is that, many assessments, they're either based on a model or a, a theory. And, um, so, but there's multiple assessments based on those theories and models, and nobody really owns necessarily those theories or, or models. Anyway, the importance though of using them in the workplace is um, a lot about you have a terminology to talk about differences, right? To talk about how you like to behave and how other people like to behave. And um, that really helps when you're resolving conflict or you're learning to communicate and get what I like to say is get to the best result faster. Um, so I think it's beneficial in many applications like uh, getting the right person in the job. So you want to um, understand what the job requires and then do, how best the candidate matches to those, those, um, those traits. And then also teaching people to appreciate differences and to communicate better. So we like to, you know, difference is generally the source of conflict, and so we want to flip it to where once you're aware how different you are in in any specific trait, then you can flip it to how do I appreciate the fact that this person has this trait and they're different than I am? How can we use that in the workplace when we work together?
1: So you have this big five or this five-factor model of of personality that uh, you're using, and if I'm... If I've gotten that incorrect, please uh, feel free to correct me. But h- how does that work then uh, in the work that you're doing?
3: So um, the five-factor model is um, it's what psychologists and academics use. So it is it's um, more researched. It's it's actually from an empirical model. It was um, early 1900s. A bunch of psychologists came up with all the words that describe people's behavior. Um, and then they came out with, when they did the analysis over, analysis over and over and over again, it all came out to these five categories. So um, the five categories are resilience. Some people have that turned around and call it neuroticism or need for stability, but I like referring it to it as resilience, extroversion, openness to experience, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. And under those, there's um, three to six sub-traits for each of those. So it goes into quite a bit of depth um, in specific traits. The, um, if, you, if you see the Harvard Business Review or Fast Company or Entrepreneur Magazine, you'll, mostly when they talk about personality, they refer to the five-factor model. Um, the other thing I really like about it is that it's on, we're showing you on a spectrum or a continuum. So you can score anywhere on that continuum. We're not putting you in a box or, or typing you. And I use it again for um, a lot of throughout the life cycle of of HR. So um, selection, onboarding, um, team building, setting up teams, um, per, uh, performance development, and then succession planning, and, and and much more. So there's a lot of different ways that you can use it.
1: And and so, what kind of got you to be so passionate about you know this particular? Um you know the big 5 uh or the five factor model excuse me um you know as you have worked with different ones and you had a previous company what what sort of got you really aligned on on this one
3: yeah so many years ago when i was with Accenture i most of my clients were banks and i worked with a big bank here in north carolina and we um i was uh matched with a manager and we we managed a team together and We were very different. I was in my late 20s. He was in his late 50s. And we just weren't, you know, being very productive. It was tough. We weren't working well together. Um, And so we went through, though, these two team-building sessions as a leadership team. And when we walked out, we were best buddies. I mean, I couldn't believe the power of those sessions. And that's where I was like, this is what I'm going to do next, you know. So I went out and and found it. And I, I love what I do. Um, I always say I like Mondays just as much as Fridays and I hope that I can help my clients to do that too
1: so as you are helping clients and you have your business how are you specifically using these assessments uh, especially in this you know area of talent management
3: Yes yeah, so I um, right now I'm doing a conflict resolution with two senior executives the and again it is just the tool right so um, we are we But we used it so that I could kind of help them understand the underlying cause of the conflict that they were having. So I didn't bring it in until after, obviously, I'd learned all about the conflict and and what each person's perspective and, but then I I did their big five for each of them and it kind of helped, then I could relate what i had heard from them to their scores. Um, And then where each of them was very different, And then we can get to solution, right? So if this is how you like, you're very detailed and you're very big picture, how do we work with that going forward? Um, And a lot of it is about moving closer to the other person. So if I know somebody wants the big picture and I'm a very detailed person, I need to intentionally remember when I go in to talk with them that I need to raise it up a bit, right? I think you were talking about people earlier, about people want to be liked and – People people um, like people that they perceive to be similar to them. So if I understand how someone's behaving and I can move closer to them, I'm going to make them more comfortable. I'm going to influence them more. So it's a lot of that. I think so conflict resolution, a lot of team building, which is helping each team member understand the other team members. And then talking through the strategies, okay, what does this mean when we're in a meeting and... Uh, Jeff goes off on these wild ideas and you know Tracy is more practical and very much about getting things done how do they talk how do they work that out so that they don't kind of break each other off and stop listening to each other
1: well it sounds like a lot of what you're doing here is helping them identify how much they are alike how much they do have in common Uh, and of course bringing understanding and um, some level of compassion or intelligence to maybe where they're different and this is always why I, I love travel and you know, you realize how much, how much more similar we are to each other than we are different. Um, yeah. And the, the the kind of the baseline of things, but I think we get organizations, it gets competitive. We're asked to be, do things. We're asked to, you know, fight for our careers and our titles and our paychecks and everything else. And we suddenly start you know, dividing people into groups of how we're different. Um, yes, and it's, yeah, how, it's, and, yeah it's, go ahead.
3: And I do concentrate a lot on the difference just because, a lot of times I'm there to help relieve some of the tension or conflict. But um, but then, like I said, we try to flip it around to where, you know, wherever we are different, let's appreciate that in the other person. And also, just being aware of it helps reduce the tension because people realize, you know what, they're not doing that just to make me frustrated, right? They're doing that because they just have a very different perspective. But you're totally right. We are much more similar than we are different, I mean, as human beings, we have so many things in common, right so um, but you're right, a lot of it is having that empathy and compassion in the workplace and and so helping to get there.
1: so you mentioned earlier about not wanting to, these tests to put people into a box, and I find this is sometimes the struggle because we want to be able to very clearly say. You know, Jane, you know, given these variables, is going to do this every time. And if Jane leaves, we want to find someone just like Jane who will do these five things if given these variables. And it's predictable and accountable and all of this. And I think sometimes that's where people go to with with these personality assessments is to try to find that exact person for that exact little box or widget that they're trying to fill so how do we really use these kinds of tests or, or maybe the five-factor model specifically to better develop and target the, the right kind of profile when we're looking to hire?
3: Yeah, so I'm happy to talk about profiling the job. But just to, to add to what you said, you're absolutely right. We are complex people, right? And personality is just, I like to look at it as layers. And personality is just one layer, right? Add onto that what motivates us Add-on skills, our experience to date, our generational influence—I mean, it gets mind-boggling, right? So you're right. We try to make things very simple, and sometimes we make them too simple. And even as much as I try to, when I'm certifying people to use the assessment, even this assessment, which is more of a, it's a—it's a, it's a continuum—people do tend to like latch on to, oh, they're this and they're that. Um, And and there's really, you've got to put it in context and there's a lot more to it. However, using the personality assessment for um, selection does give you just a little bit more information about the person than you would have if you didn't do it. There's a lot of ways to, um, to come up with a target job profile. If you look at it as a continuum, at the right side of the continuum, the most scientific way is to get incumbents. So if you had 100 salespeople that did the same job in the same company, and you could assess all of them, and you look at the performance of specific criteria that cluster at the top of performers and then the clusters at the bottom. You can do a statistical analysis with all that data and come up with a with a profile. Most companies do not have 100 people in incumbents. Um, most people don't want to spend the money to do that. And so what I end up doing is on the other side of the spectrum, which is I as a Big Five expert learn a lot about the job. As much as I can. I do interviews, could, I could do surveys. Um, I learn about the job and then I come up with what that means, how that translates to the job profile. And so for example, the the narrative big five has twenty three sub traits. So I would have a target range of scores on each of those those subtraits. And then as we would be candidates, they take the assessment and we compare them to those scores and they we do come up with a a job fit number. Important thing to note is that, again, this is only one piece of the selection, and I always emphasize that. You don't want to make your decision just on this alone. Um, What ends up happening with my clients, mostly, is they come up with their final candidates, and then they do this. And then whoever they decide, they know what they're getting, right? And so they know their areas of strengths that match the job really well. And they know where they might not match as well. so, and then there's a lot of in between. In between what I told you, I do most of the time. And then with using the statistical analysis, there's, um, you can uh, assess your high performers. But just as you were explaining, there's so much more to it. You really have to look at low performers as well to try to differentiate.
1: Do you have maybe a, a kind of a favorite example or story? You know, um, that kind of help people understand what the impact or where they might really. Kind of get out of utilizing something like a Big Five. Um, I think people might be somewhat, somewhat, you know, uh, f- familiar with some assessments. They might use them on their salespeople, but you find a lot of people it's a little hodgepodgey. So, you have sort of an example or a story on how a, a company can can really, you know, make a big change or a big difference into what they're doing by using something like that.
3: Sure. So um, a couple, uh, maybe it was a couple of years ago that I've worked with them since is a, a marketing company. It's a small company, like eight people, and their owner was had some very extreme scores. She was very high in resilience, so she was an optimist. She was very composed, um, and I'm just giving you some of her characteristics, but she liked the big picture, and she was very high in self-discipline. Her team members, um, one in particular, was very... Low in resilience, you know, tended to worry a lot, was um, needed to vent a lot before they could get into problem solving. Um, They were very detail oriented, and they they were a procrastinator. They were less self disciplined than the owner. So these two were having a hard time. The team member was going to the owner constantly with her questions and her problems, and it was kind of driving the owner crazy. Um, And also some of that, you know waiting until the last minute to do things was really also a source of frustration for the owner. Well, during, well, throughout the team building, we worked on everybody understanding each other, and we came up with strategies. So a few of the strategies that we used with um, the owner and this one team member was the team member would save her questions to go to the owner you know, once a week if possible and went through her questions and she tried to have solutions instead of just bringing problems. I mean, very practical things like this is what we're talking about. Um, the other thing was that she learned that she needed to vent. When she needed to vent and talk about issues, she could go to her team member, her other team members, or there was this one particular team member that was happy to do that with her. And really, that those two team members always talked about how should we go talk about this specific issue to the owner. They would kind of have a meeting before the meeting. To, to think about, okay, let's remember who she is and how we need to communicate this with her. And the whole team did that to a certain extent. They were, you know, six months later, they were still talking about how much this had changed their team dynamic and how much they were all, you know, felt better about and and kind of had a more pleasant work week. We did it again a year later when they uh, hired some different people and some people left and that sort of thing. So um, that was one of those where it just really sucked. With them, and they they were actually, you know, really applying what they had learned.
1: Well, that's a great story, and there's so many good examples of, you know, if we just take this time, and have the right tool, and and take the time to try to understand people, that we can often get to places we never thought even possible um, yeah. by by kind of taking that approach. Um, you know, as we're kind of winding down here, uh, we have time here to kind of ask some of our little fun questions that we enjoy to ask our guests sometimes, and. First one is you know with uh New Year's resolutions on everyone's mind, uh maybe is there an app or a gadget or something that you've recently considered adding to your life or something that you use all the time that you think our listeners might want to check out?
3: Yeah, so I have two one is an app and one is a, a gadget, so one is my doxy scanner. I just love my scanner it's so portable and um and I'm trying to get one of my New Year's resolutions last year was to stop having so much paper, um, and that helped. And then the other one is Cam Card. Are you familiar with that one? No. Where it's it's basically you take a picture of your of a business card, and it will take that information and put it into an Excel spreadsheet and into the app. So you then have all your business cards on this app, but you can also download them on Excel with all the information. Now, I'll tell you, it's not perfect if if it's not a very good quality business card. Sometimes you have to fill in a little bit of it, but it's not that hard, and um, it's really easy to set up.
1: Well, that sounds like two good suggestions uh, for our listeners. How about uh, books? Is there a book that uh, you're reading right now that we might want to check out or one that you typically suggest that people take a look at?
3: Well, recently, the, the business book I read most recently was The Oz Principle by Connors, Smith, and Hickman. And that one's about accountability. So it talks about this accountability model of um, see it, own it, solve it, and do it. And I did an accountability program with a federal credit union around that book. So that was that was fun. Yeah,
1: and we've had that one come up on the show uh, before. It sounds like a good one to check out. Um, yeah. So fi- final question, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more, if they want to work with uh, your company, narrative? Uh, what's the best way for them to do that?
3: Yeah, best way email, um CC Lee at aboutnarrative.com. And the website is aboutnarrative.com.
1: Well, fantastic. I uh, really appreciate you being on the show with us today. Hopefully our uh, listeners have learned something important or could take something back with them. Uh, maybe they'll be interested to in start poking around with uh, different assessments. And we'd love to have you come back on the show at some point and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing.
3: Yeah, that'd be great. I appreciate it.
1: All right, next week our guests will include Lt. Uh, Latino Bryson, uh, the co-founder and CEO of vcandidates.com, and Jill Christensen, uh, an employee engagement expert. Don't forget to tune in each week at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Tuesday. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.